So over the last couple of months, we have worked our way through all of the miracles in the book of John. Um, we have seen how Jesus has had control over material things. He's turned water into wine. He's taken five loaves and two fish and multiplied it into a meal for 5,000 men plus the women and children. We've seen Jesus have control over nature. He's, he's walked on water. He's calmed the storm. We've seen Jesus' victory over sickness. He's healed an official son from a distance. He's healed a paralyzed man. He's given sight back to a man who was born blind. And we've even seen Jesus have power over death as he called Lazarus forth from the grave, even though Lazarus had been, been dead for at least four days. But this week we get to the climax of them all, the very climax of all the miracles that Jesus did. In John chapter 11, last week what we read, John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Well, then we come to John chapter 20 and we read of Jesus' own resurrection the most important miracle, the greatest miracle. You see, our entire faith rests on that one miracle, the miracle that Jesus rose from the grave. In fact, if that miracle didn't happen, we wouldn't be sitting here today. If that miracle had not taken place, I'm not even so sure we would even know the name of Jesus. If that miracle had not taken place, then, then Jesus would be no different than the religious leaders of so many other Religions and cults, he would simply be a pile of bones in a grave somewhere. Without that miracle, we would most definitely be lost in our sin. That's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. He says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. But we know Jesus is alive. Amen? And we serve a risen Savior. And so when we come to John chapter 20, I want us to consider the resurrection, to think about the resurrection. We don't usually preach on the resurrection much except for on Easter, and that really is a shame because we see so much here. And I want us to look especially at the reactions of Jesus' closest, closest followers as they found that empty tomb. Verse 1, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now in the other gospel accounts, we know that Mary was not alone. She was with a group of, of women who had gone to the tomb in order to, to continue to mourn, to continue to pre prepare, to put out flowers, to, to do the things that they did. You see, that Jew, in that Jewish culture of that day, um, families and friends would mourn for three days after the burial. If you remember last week, we mentioned that they had this belief, not found in Scripture, but they did have this belief that the soul of the departed would remain for three days. And so part of that ritual was because they wanted to demonstrate to that soul who they thought was there listening and watching how much that they cared for the one who was deceased. And so here, Mary Magdalene and these other ladies had come to this tomb in order to mourn, in order to do more to show Jesus how much they, they loved him. They had arrived, it says, sometime before dawn, so sometime before 6 a.m. But let's pick it up back, back in verse 2. It says, So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out and the, with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. 
Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. First point I want to make this morning is that the resurrection proves God keeps his word. The resurrection proves that God is one who keeps his word. Now, in John's gospel, when you see a disciple referred to as the other disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved, that is John writing about himself. He, he didn't use his own name he would often use that, that phrase. And so this is a first-person account. This is an account about Peter and John. John is writing about what he saw. And so we're told here that, that when Mary got to them and said the tomb is open, Jesus' body is missing, we don't know what happened, Peter and John run to the tomb and they assume that a robbery has taken place. They assume that Jesus' body has been stolen. But something changes John's mind. It said in verse 8, it said, Then the other disciple, that's John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. He believed. Something he saw made the light switch go on. For as yet, verse 9, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And so I got to thinking about this. What was it that John saw? What was it that made him suddenly be able to put the puzzle together? There must have been something that he was looking at that made him say, oh my goodness, I get it. And I think, I think that it was the grave cloths, these linen cloths. You see, at Jesus' burial, he was wrapped in these linen cloths that were soaked in, in perfumes and spices. It would have been about 100 pounds worth of cloth that was wrapped around him. And in verse 5, let's read verse, go back to verse 5. It says, In stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. John got to the tomb first. He looks in. He sees the cloths, but he doesn't go in. It's probably a moment of nervousness. He doesn't know what to make of it. He stops. But Peter blows right past him. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. So here's what would happen. When they would take this body, any Jewish body like this, and they would bury it, they would wrap the body in these linen cloths, and they would start from just below the shoulders, and they would go all the way down to the toes, and they would just wrap the body up. And then they would take their head, and they would wrap the head separately from the body. And so what they were seeing here, you know, and so they would take that body, excuse me, and they would put it into this grave. Now, most of the graves in that day and age um, were, were caves. They, they were caves that were dug into a hillside. And as you walked into that cave, there would be three spots on either side, and there would be two spots on the end. They would lay the body in there. They would wait for the body to decompose, and then they would come back in in a few months, and they would take the bones, they would place them in a box, and they would open up the grave for somebody else. But when they looked in, they saw something different. It says here that they saw those linen cloths. They saw the cloths for the body lying there, and then they saw the head cloth separate. 
And if you, if you look at the Greek, what, it, what it's trying to say here is that those cloths were sitting exactly how they ought to sit. As if the body had been there and simply vaporized. As if the body had been there but suddenly disappeared and the cloths just fell exactly where they were. Here's the reason why I say that. Had there been a robbery... The cloths would have either been gone or they would have been piled in the corner because they would have picked the body up, they would have taken the cloths off, and they would have tossed them in the corner. But instead, when John comes in, he immediately, the Bible says, he, he saw and he believed. He saw that something was up. He realized in that moment, no, Jesus wasn't stolen. No, Jesus didn't get up. No, someone didn't take his body. No, his body simply rose. And he, and he caught, I think what he caught in that moment was this was not a Lazarus moment. Jesus called Lazarus forth from the grave. Remember that? And it says that Lazarus stumbles out of the tomb and has to ask to be unwound, to be taken out of those cloths. Jesus didn't leave with the cloths because he didn't leave with a dead body. He rose to a new body. This was his resurrected body. It was exactly what he had said in Luke chapter 18. I think it's going to be on the screen. He said, In taking the twelve, he said to them, this is earlier in his ministry, he's beginning to predict what's going to happen. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise." But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. And so I can imagine that as John walks in, he sees this, these, these grave clothes looking as if the body had been there, but now the body is not there, and the head cloth is separate, exactly how it ought to be. I think right there, John said, Peter, do you get this? Do you see what happened here? He rose, he rose, he rose. Jesus had kept his word. And if you think about Jesus' life, it is really one point after another of God keeping his word from beginning to end. Jesus' life is simply one fulfilled promise after another. One author put it like this. He said, the life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities, the virgin womb and the empty tomb. Jesus entered this world through a door marked no entrance and left this world through a door marked no exit. And all the way in between, Jesus kept fulfilling promise after promise after promise. And so what does that mean for us? If Jesus kept his word on the most impossible of tasks, rising from the dead, we can trust everything else he says in here. We can trust this word to be true and to be accurate and for God to be faithful. And so when we open this book and we read of God's promised love and his care and his compassion and his faithfulness to his children, we can take that promise to the bank. When we read of a salvation that can never be lost, never be tarnished, we know it's true. When we read that one day there will be a resurrection and we will rise with him. We know 100% without a doubt it's going to happen because God keeps his word. 
because of Jesus' resurrection, which confirms that this is true, we can trust everything else we read. And that trust changes everything. The disciples went from these guys who were scared out of their minds to very shortly men who were transformed because they saw Christ again. And they realized God really does keep his word. Now we're going to see in a minute of that moment when Jesus appears to them and it really happens. But John chapter 20, verse 11, let's see what happens to Mary first. It says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Now, now we don't really know a whole lot about Mary Magdalene. There's a lot more that, that is assumed than what is actually written. All we know from Scripture is in Luke chapter 8, verse 2, that she had seven demons which were cast out of her. In John chapter 19, we read that she was at the cross. And we kind of gather that Mary was one of the ladies who was among that group of women who traveled with the disciples at times and cared for their needs. They, they tended to, to particular needs. And, and there's, there's some things in church history. There's, there's these ideas that maybe she was a prostitute or some other things. We don't know that for sure. That's all just things that have come up along the way. But what we know from Scripture is that she was a woman who was extremely devoted to Jesus. She loved Jesus. And we know in this moment, she was a broken woman. It says here that she was weeping uncontrollably, sobbing, because her Lord had first been crucified, and now she couldn't find the body. The body of the one she loved so dear, who had done so much for her, was gone. And so she's sobbing. And I can imagine with those tears streaming down her face, she stoops and she looks into the tomb, probably hoping that this was all a nightmare. You know what I mean? She probably was looking in thinking, please just let the body be there and this is all, I'm just dreaming all this. And as she looks in, she suddenly see these, sees these two angels. It says in verse 12, And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. So in my mind, this is how I picture this. Mary is sobbing. She looks in. She sees these two figures who she doesn't really understand who they are. And as she's saying, I don't know where they laid my body. I just in my mind picture that, that one of them points toward the door. In verse 14, it says that Mary turns around. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. How could she? She wasn't expecting a resurrection. Verse 15, she said, he said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. But then, then, Jesus calls her name. And that made all the difference. Jesus said to her, verse 16, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Second point I want to make this morning is that Jesus' resurrection dries our tears. His resurrection dries our tears. In a split second, Mary goes from being at the absolute depths of sorrow to the height of joy. And here's why. Because Jesus called her name. 
And there was no mistake in that voice when she heard her own name. She knew that was the name of Jesus. That was Jesus. She knew that was her Lord and Savior. And there was no need to fear. There was no need for sorrow anymore because Jesus was alive. Makes me think of um, way back in John 10. Turn over real quick to John chapter 10. I'll touch a few pages over. Might want to mark your page in John 20, and we'll come back there in a second. This whole idea of John or of Jesus calling Mary's name and suddenly she recognizes it makes me think of John chapter 10, starting in verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand, and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus says there, he is the good shepherd. The shepherd who knows our name, who knows our voice. And we're told here that if we are his children, we know his voice too. It's interesting that Jesus would pick that profession to compare himself to. Shepherding was not a very desirous task in that day. It was an absolute grueling, never-ending job. Night and day, winter, summer, heat, cold, rain, or shine, a shepherd had to take care of his sheep because sheep can't do anything for themselves. He had to take care of their safety, their security, security to find them food, to make sure that they got rest, make sure their health was okay. Sheep can do nothing for themselves. They... Um, they will often injure themselves. If a sheep falls over and gets on its back, it cannot get up, and it will suffocate and die laying on its back. And so that shepherd has to turn it back over. Sheep will completely destroy a field when they're eating. They will eat every ounce of roots in that field, and they will completely destroy it. Sheep will actually even walk straight off a cliff eating. They put their head down, and they eat, and they've been known to simply walk right off a cliff while eating. Sounds kind of like raising kids, doesn't it? <laughs> And so here we see what is really polar opposites, right? You see the Son of God, God himself in the flesh, comparing himself to a lowly shepherd, to a, uh, which is a thankless job. But in those verses in verse 10, in John 10, if you were to read that whole, that whole section there, you would find at least four things that he says he does for us. He says he knows us by name, he protects us, he cares for us, and he lays down his life for his sheep. And so now, as the resurrected Jesus, he calls Mary's name, and he calls our name. And just as that voice gave her hope, it gives us hope. It gives us hope that there is a Savior who is alive, who loves us. It gives us hope that this is not all there is. It reminds me of what comes up in, in, in Revelation chapter 7 when, the, when that shepherd theme picks up again. I think it's going to be on the screen. Revelation 7, 17. That one day we're going to have this hope. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. 
and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Jesus' resurrection proves that he can and will wipe away our tears for all eternity. All our sorrow, all our hurt, all our pain will one day be taken away by the good shepherd who knows our name. Doesn't end there. Let's go to verse 17. John 20, 17. It says, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Now, that seems like an odd comeback, doesn't it? I mean, he, he appears to Mary here. She reaches and she... Uh, we don't really know. I mean, does she give him a big hug? Does she fall at his feet and grab the, the hem of his garment? You know, we don't really know. But, but there's this, this moment where she is trying to show her undying love and devotion to Jesus. And Jesus' response is, do not cling to me. Sounds kind of cold and harsh, but you know what? The point that Jesus is trying to make is that their relationship is changing. And it's not in a bad way. It's actually in a good way. You see, Jesus had risen. He had defeated death. He had conquered the grave. He had proven that he was the Son of God. But in a matter of just over a month, Jesus was going to ascend to the Father. That's what he says here. I've not yet ascended to the Father. And we know that Jesus appeared for 40 days, and then he ascended to the Father. But when he ascended, and then later at Pentecost, what took place? He sent the Holy Spirit. Third point I want to make is that Jesus' resurrection brought the Holy Spirit's arrival. You see, Jesus' ministry was changing. You know, no longer would he be roaming the earth with this band of disciples and all his followers. No longer would he be physically here on earth. But you know what? That actually is good news. He's saying here that that's good news. But because by his departure, he is sending the Holy Spirit. John 14, let's go there. John 14, I want to look in verse 25, and then we're going to skip over to John 16 in a second. Chapter 14, verse 25 says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. So Jesus is teaching here. And he's saying, I'm telling you this while I'm still with you. But, verse 26, the, help, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then look over in John chapter 16, verse 7. So about a page over probably. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now we all think in our minds, man, I just wish I could walk and talk with Jesus today. I just wish Jesus could physically be here. We could go see him. We could go talk to him. He could just tell us. But if we hold on to that attitude, we are denying what Jesus is saying here. We are denying the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus is saying it was good news 
that he rose from the grave and that he would ascend to the Father. He was telling Mary, don't cling to me because something better is coming. Someone better is coming. I'm going to ascend and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And then you won't have to look for my physical presence because I will be in you. I will be indwelling you. Because the Holy Spirit indwells each one of us. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. You don't have to pray for a second baptism of the Spirit. You don't have to wait for a second coming of the Spirit that comes after salvation. No. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. And He empowers you to understand this book. And He brings it to memory, what Jesus said. He brings this to memory in your life. As you walk through life and as you go through struggles and as you come to points of weakness, the Spirit enables you to remember what you've been taught from the Word of God. The Spirit dwells within you to empower you to do God's will and to fulfill His mission. And so when Mary looked at Him and Jesus replied, don't cling to me, this was not a disconnect. This was a wait and see. Mary turned loose because something better is coming. I'm going to send you my spirit. But then there's one last point I want to make this morning, and that's that Jesus' resurrection sends us out. Look in verse 17. Second half of verse 17, Jesus said, But go to my brothers, that's the disciples, and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And so Jesus had a mission for Mary. Mary became the first missionary in Scripture. This lowly woman who had once been the home of seven demons became the very first missionary to go forth and to tell the disciples, Jesus is risen and he's ascending to the Father. And that's what Mary did. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Jesus sent And she went. But it didn't stop there. Look in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. You. And he didn't stop there either. At that moment right before he ascended, this is what he told them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, which has happened, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit has come because Jesus is risen and Jesus has ascended. And we in turn have been sent out. We, in turn, have been sent as missionaries, following in the footsteps of Mary Magdalene, to go forth and to tell the world around us that our Lord is risen. But we have to be aware that we don't fall into the same trap as Mary, that same temptation to want to cling, that same temptation to want to hold on. But instead, we have to realize that God has called us to a purpose, uh, kind of think about it like this. Um, take, take this sponge right here. Now, a sponge is meant to do what? Soak up a little water and then serve its purpose. Correct? 
What's his purpose? Clean some dishes, right? I do know how to clean dishes. It's amazing. Some guys, I, yeah, my wife taught me real early. She's trained me real well. And so, you know, a sponge is not meant to just go sit on the counter, right? This sponge right here is completely dry. It's never been used. It's got to get in the water, right? It needs to soak up some water so it can be ready to, be, to serve, right? But it's also not meant to sit in the water all day and to never do anything, correct? That's not what a sponge is called to do. No, it's called to soak a little bit, serve its purpose. Soak a little bit, serve its purpose. Soak a little bit, serve its purpose. And that's what we're called to do, to come and to soak up the Word of God and then go serve our purpose. And then to come back to the Word and to soak it up and then go serve our purpose. You know, sometimes we can be tempted to say, you know what, I'm just... I just want to focus on my growth right now. And I'm just, I just want to cling to Jesus. And I just want to, you know, just, just give me, let me take a few more Bible studies. Let me do a couple more things. And I'll serve one day. I'll, I'll do what God's called me to do down the road somewhere. But no, Jesus has said, it's time now to serve. You see, we're not called just to soak it up, but to go forth. We're not called just to cling to him but to carry out his mission. Are you doing that today? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. God, we thank you for the new life that we have in Jesus, the forgiveness of sins that we have in Jesus. God, there's so much I could have said today. We could go on and on and on about what the resurrection does for us. How it gives us peace. How it, it makes us bold. But Father, first we come here today at this time of invitation. God, and I'm asking that if there be those in this room who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they would see the resurrection for what it is proof that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died on a cross and rose from the grave to provide a way of forgiveness as the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. God, we know that Your Word says that blood must be shed, that blood must be shed to cover our sin and You sent this, the, Your one and only Son to be the one who would die in our place. So Father, I pray that if there be one in this room who needs to come to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today would be that day. And Father, I pray for the believers in this room today that we would understand the calling that you have placed on our lives. Not just to cling to Jesus and to hold on to him, but to rise and to fulfill his purpose in this world to not just sit and soak, but to rise and serve the calling that you have placed on each one of our lives. God, you've given us the Holy Spirit so that we could do so. And I pray that we would not, not deny the power of the Spirit in our lives, but walk in faithfulness, knowing that wherever you lead us, you are right there with us. God, I pray that if there be any in this service who need to make decisions for salvation, for membership, for rededication, that they would feel the freedom to do so right in this moment. And it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?